Hello and welcome to the Food Fight Podcast. I'm Matt Eastland. And I'm Lakshmi Balthasan. And today's show is a special one as recording as part of New Scientist Live's Future of Food and Agriculture Day. Thanks for having us. Now, if you're new to this podcast, EIT Food is essentially Europe's leading food innovation community, an organization with a mission to make the food system more sustainable, healthy, and trusted. On this show, we like to meet people from across the sector who are fighting for a better food future. Whether that be with new products, farming techniques, technology, or activism, as well as tracking the progress of some of the most exciting startups in the space. Yeah, so from lab-grown meat to AI-assisted farming, we believe that the agri-food sector is an incredibly exciting space to be in right now. But how can this increasingly important industry continue to attract the talent and skills that it needs to tackle some of the world's biggest problems? And do young people and entrepreneurs realise that the opportunity exists? So with us to debate and share their own stories, we have three very talented guests. So first up, we have Carl Edwards. He is the Director of Education and Public Engagement at LEAF, which is a linking environment and farming organization. There, his mission is to inspire and enable the next generation of sustainable farming and food production. So thanks for joining us today, Carl. Thank you, Lakshmi, and thank you, Matt. Next up, we have Jaika Marianen. He's a serial entrepreneur in the food space and a co-founder of GrainSense and also Mana Insect, two very innovative companies involved with EIT Food. They are solving different problems that we'll let him explain in a second. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks. Finally, our very own Barbara Mason. She joins us from EIT Food, where she manages an agri-food training partnership with the University of Reading. Hi, Barbara. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. It's an absolute delight to have you all here. So let's kick this off then. So we might be biased in saying that the agri-food sector is a cool place to be right now. Uh, so we're dealing with innovation, with solving real world problems and creating exciting products and solutions. But from the outside looking in, do you think that the agri-food sector maybe has a slight, let's call it branding problem in that to the average student, the old image of traditional farming and slow moving corporates is kind of what initially springs to mind. So Carl, I'd be interested to get your view just to start. So we were having the same conversations in 2018 um, and we were quite keen to actually ask young people directly, what did they feel? So we launched a piece of teenager research, if you like, for the industry in the UK. As LEAF and as LEAF education specifically, we felt very much that work was being done with young people at a university age and above or at a primary age, but not really within that middle ground of teenagers, secondary schools, when a lot of young people were starting to make those decisions about future career opportunities. And we asked 1,200 young people across the UK that exact question, would you consider a career in our sector? And what do you think about our sector? And we were overwhelmed that over two-thirds of young people actually came back and said, yeah, absolutely. We're really interested in what you're doing. We want Amazing. to know more about where our food is produced. Mm. Um, and another third of them actually said, we'd even consider a career in that sector. Um, out of everyone we surveyed, only 4% of those young people had ever had any information about our sector, career routes, opportunities in. Is that right? Uh, so it was really interesting. We also asked them about their perception of the sector, of both the food and farming sector, and hardworking, labour-intensive were two of the words that came up high on the list that they associated with our industries. However, they also felt that science and technology 
were some of the in underpinning points that our industry would have to adapt, adopt uh, as we move forward as well. So it was quite a mixed bag in that sense, but on the whole, really, really positive. That's fascinating, really encouraging as well. And and just mm. on the science and technology point, Barbara, is that is that something that you agree with? Is, are these the things that you're seeing as well? So absolutely agree that um, there's a whole wealth of things from the science and technology perspective, and, and they are transferable across the whole science and technology piece. They, they're not just specific to the food sector. But one of the things that I think is quite interesting, and it kind of follows on from what Carl's just said, so thinking about this from a university student's perspective, and again, it's a question that we've asked, why, why are numbers relatively low on, on um, not necessarily agriculture courses, but food type courses ac across um, university students? And I think there seems to be a bit of a disconnect with where they think they're ultimately going to go. One of the visions that people seem to have in their mind, kind of like as courses about farmers being labor intensive and, and, and so on. One of the things that they think of in the food industry is it's standing in white wellies in a freezing cold uh, factory at two o'clock in the morning, you know, on a boring production line. And it kind of gets forgotten that, it, it's any, uh, that there are other things to it or people immediately leap to the supermarket end and, and don't actually realize what goes on behind the scenes in a supermarket um, or a, the supermarket area and the science and technology that, that fits with that. So I think from an undergraduate level, there's mixed messages in that absolutely there's huge amounts of things that can be done, but where that will take you and how you, how you can do that, I think we do keep that secret rather well, unfortunately. Okay, yeah, that's, that's good to know. And Yuka, just talking about this being a well-kept secret, I mean, is that is that your experience? Is you know, do you think that uh, the sector has a reputation issue, or or you know, what do you think? Well, I don't. At least from my point of view, the bubble I lived before founding GrainSense was that I didn't even think it, it wasn't even a reputation or brand. There wasn't any to to <laughs> even think about. So I mean, I I. I came to GrainSense by going to have a beer with an optical engineer, nothing to do with agriculture or anything. And then when we sat down, it became evident that the technical innovation of optical measurement, they actually had found that agriculture might have need for it. So even they didn't think agriculture as the primary case, but because they got so many responses that measuring protein is important that we as a as a team kind of decided that okay agriculture is the the main uh, market segment for our product and we will optimize it for that so and the same happened with manna i mean i i definitely have not been personally interested in insects ever in my life i just met a researcher with my colleague who is also a serial entrepreneur and we got excited about the potential impact that we can provide as an engineer and a biologist to this area. So the area itself didn't interest us at the beginning, but the potential of making an impact was the, the reason. Do you mind explaining a little bit about what MANA Insect actually does? What we got interested is that there is uh, so much bio-waste that needs to be processed and now only way to really do it is using a biogas plant. And the, the problem is that the nitrogen especially is lost more or less from that in that process. And nitrogen is one of the important ingredients in, in the pool of life. 
so when we found out this insect black soldify larva, we, we got excited because it can so well process bio-waste and turn it into protein feed. So our job is to make that available in, at the industrial level for both bio-waste companies and food industry that does have a lot of side stream or waste more or less. And then on the other hand, uh, provide a feed, raw feed source for fish industry and pet, pet food and later uh, based on legislation also to chicken and pig side because there's a huge protein need in those sectors. Even if veganism becomes more popular, there's still need for meat in many sectors. Hmm. Got it. And I think that's sort of what we want to sort of talk about in this is like increasingly millennials and, you know, people in general want these meaningful careers that help them make the world a better place. So what you talked about, you know, impact purpose. So, you know, to all of you in your own words, why is the agri-food sector the place to be if you want to create impact and make a difference? I think what's interesting and obviously what's key here is we all need food to sustain us. It's a requirement of life. And the fact that we have a future generation that ever more so and increasingly more so are connected to the environment, are aware of where their food is produced and wants to know more about where their food is produced. And kind of our role is just to highlight those opportunities, those exciting opportunities. The science and technology, yeah, they absolutely have a part to play. But as an organisation of LEAF, we also look at sustainability and actually looking at learning from the past as well and looking at best practices that we've had in the past and mixing those with the science and technology of the future. And so there's that intergenerational piece to be had there as well. Learning from those that are already in industry that have made those mistakes, maybe, or have found those solutions. And what's exciting is the fact that we've got this generation coming up that we know from the Office of National Statistics Research from the UK has said that the generation are a more caring generation, both in terms of society, but also in terms of the environment. And actually, what could be more caring than providing food that nourishes our population, that also provides the guardianship of our environment as well? And the two just come together symbiotically. And that to me is that exciting piece. And the fact that when we work with young people, so um, we run a national competition in food farming and the natural environment. And we very much said from the outset, we want to give these young people the opportunity to experience everything around food production and the environment and just to see it all in action. And as part of our competition, we gave young people a hypothesis. And in the first year, it was kind of, is farming more than mud and wellies? Do you agree or disagree? And they all agreed and we were really, really happy. And we thought, well, actually, we need to dig down a little bit deeper into this. So the following year, we said, drones will be our farmers of the future. Do you agree or disagree? Every single young person there disagreed with that. And they said, no, humans are the most important part of that system. And having that emotive connection and having that ability to make decisions and of course, science and technology will underpin and will be used. But ultimately, you need the human stuff. And that really surprised us. But it fits into that whole piece that young people today are more caring, are more thoughtful, uh, will consider different things. And as I said at the start, 
it's bringing those intergenerational piece together, which is really important as well, learning from the past and pushing us forward to the future. That's such a lovely sentiment. And it's really nice to hear that, you know, the future of food and farming, although it might be underpinned by robots, there is that very human caring connection. Mm. And it's really nice to hear that young people already feel that sense of human connection with food. Mm. That's it's really lovely finding. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. I was just going to say, what do you think, Barbara? I mean, do you agree? I mean, is why do you think this is so exciting, the agri-food space? I guess I too stepped into the agri-food space from a different sector, you know, and up until 15 years or so ago, the closest I'd got to food was eating the stuff. You know, I hadn't <laughs> actually had any other, any other parts of it. I'm a chemist by background and I spent the, the first part of my career in the pharmaceutical industry and had always had this notion of it would be great to make a difference, but, but I'd always been feeling that that was more of a part of a collective, even though subconsciously there's how can you do this on a personal level? And I absolutely agree with what we've said here just now in that moving forward, young people are much more passionate about doing this on a personal level. And I found that... Um, the thing that inspired me was about a decade ago, the UK's then government chief scientific advisor produced a report that was absolutely terrifying in as much as it said that by 2050, the world, if we continued as we were in the way that we behaved, we wouldn't be able to feed ourselves. Mm. And by we, he didn't mean odd pockets of people all over the place. It actually meant if we, you and I, didn't change our ways, then we, you and I, wouldn't be able to feed ourselves, never mind the people that needed uh, extra support. And, and that was sort of a real eye-opener for me. And so when I had the opportunity to move into working with agri the agri-food area, it, it starts to show that actually there are mechanisms there where on an individual level you can make that difference and it's something that i think just it's there it's in your face you can become so passionate about it that it's something that leads you to do these sorts of things and then to look out more broadly into skills and cross-sector working that will allow that massive progress to be made so so picking up on on sort of a couple of points and, and taking it a touch further is is this notion of food waste and reducing food waste you know young people i know feel absolutely passionately about that but it's not just young people that are mm. feeling that it's now some that's crossing a huge generational gap of people who are maybe they're not working anymore but it's still something that's important and, and for me that's what's really exciting is that there are ways of doing things even in a big corporate where as an individual you make a difference and outside when you're doing your shopping and you're making your food choices you can actually make a big difference um, those small steps are starting to count and that's what makes it so exciting I have to get off my soapbox now <laughs> <laughs> no we love it love it um I mean it's it's pretty clear I mean particularly with Barbara and Carl that you know you, you think that young people should be interested in food and farming so maybe you can give us a, a flavor of what jobs are actually out there and and maybe are there any roles that people might not expect you know something which is maybe not you know not the traditional view of of this space uh, carl what do you think so we developed with the national federation of young farmers club a program that we can deliver in school called future farming and we look at a wide variety of different jobs within that so kind of your autonomous vehicle engineer your carbon capture technicians and you know just the things that we forget about actually in our food production 
the butcher, you know, cheesemaker, all of those jobs are still really exciting. Just because it's not a new career doesn't mean it's not an exciting career. Mm. And it, I remember back, we first piloted this session with a school in Leicestershire. And we got the young people just to think, right, what have you got for lunch today in front of you? And then let's have a look at these kind of future farming roles and these jobs. And how many of those jobs were involved in making what you've got in front of you today? And I remember so clearly this one girl, she came up to me and she said, I didn't realise there were 20 people in just making this ham sandwich that I've got in front of me. <laughs> and it was that kind of light bulb moment that we saw that exactly that's, that's the whole point. There are some new and exciting jobs and there will always be new and exciting jobs that come into the industry and jobs that we don't know even exist, as they always say, in three years time. But there's those traditional jobs uh, that are just as important and those still aren't appreciated or understood by a lot of people. And so our remit really in our role is to highlight the whole plethora of these. And yeah, I just... The fact that 20 jobs in making that ham sandwich for that young people, just, <laughs> that that just blew her mind. Um, and, and so we really feel that the whole supply chain, if you like, is important in that journey as well in highlighting that. Thanks, Carl. And Barbara, anything to add to that? Well, I guess things that I had my eyes opened as to what sorts of things there were through working with not actually in my instance with young people but working with people who've come on to do professional learning still are academic courses but I've had people come sort of past me with from things like airlines well why on earth does, does somebody who works for an airline want to come on a course that that is in some way related to food science and of course these are people that decide what goes into the, the foods that you're served while you're on a long haul flight or a short haul flight and they're looking at not only the nutritional content but they're looking at the taste of it and how nice is it and how nice is it when you're up in the air and how long can it survive and still be nice across the flight so that was something that was a real eye opener you know when somebody from from you know airlines sign up for my courses that's that's a bit of a surprise but equally you have people from um small restaurants or um, across the whole the whole piece, what I think one of the most exciting areas that opens your eyes to what opportunities are, are food technologists. You've got food technologists that are in, in the supermarkets, you've got food technologists that are working in the airlines or in um, hospitals, things like making food that is palatable for cancer patients, you know, for cancer patients who, who can't taste, who, uh, I mean, and I guess it's something that's particularly pertinent now in the COVID times for people who can't taste and smell, where the most awful smells are permeating everything that, that they do. So to be able to be have the knowledge and the skills to make minor adjustments to popular foods that people can face eating and then still actually get it to be able to be swallowed. Mm. So there's a whole host of different things that, that come into play. I believe look at what you're good at and what you enjoy, and there will be somewhere within the agri-food system that needs those skills and, of course, that will help you sort of fine-tune those. Love it. Amazing. I've never, you know, even from my perspective inside, uh, you know, I probably don't even realise quite how broad this can go. So thank you for <laughs> kind of, uh, thank you for sort of articulating that really well. Thanks. And I guess, you know, we've already heard from UK, like he is a prime example of exactly someone coming from a, a different innovative sector and applying it to the, the food industry. So I guess coming back to you a little bit, Yuka, so you mentioned, you know, you, you, you mentioned you come from a technical angle. So what are the different roles within GrainSense and Mana Insect? You know, who are the type of people that you work with? 
we actually, GrainSense has hired about 26 different people. And I think uh, four have some farming background. Mm -hmm. And every time we were um, hiring like lab technicians and, and different people, we were thinking that could we find someone who at least have uh, parents as a farmers so that they have some context because we knew that we didn't really have the context as a founding team that hopefully our employees would have more understanding of the practical farming. Uh, uh, we didn't find that many, but in, in Finland, there is still agriculture. There's many, many farmers. So there are people, but we didn't find that many. And that, that was kind of important for us. In Manna Insect, it's the same thing. We can't find anyone who actually have insect experience, <laughs> but at least they have a bio, they are biologists. So they actually have, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my children, I'm not sure have I more scared them away from <laughs> any act, any agriculture or entrepreneurship because they've seen in the last 13 years, they've seen me do many things from having a, a queen of Sweden as a customer uh, to, to, to bringing insects to home to feed, feed bio waste. So I'm not sure what they think. I haven't really held a job and early 20s, I was a research scientist. Uh, but since then, it's been very hard for me to kind of, I, I wouldn't be definitely in this area on, other than luck, more or less, of just meeting people. And that's interesting, you know, you talk about how you've sort of become the accidental agri-food entrepreneur. And, you know, currently there is this concept of, you know, not climbing the career ladder. It's more squiggly and people are moving from applying skills. It's really in developing their own careers. And I think, you know, um, if we're going to encourage more people to come into food or farming sector and start successful companies or really evolve the industry, do you need to learn specific skills through formal education or is it more organic? So we very much believe that you cannot be what you haven't seen and haven't had the chance to experience. And that really is our role to, to open the eyes to those young people. And we do this through many different paths and for example we run something called farmer time which is connecting schools with a farmer so an, an individual class can connect and have regular conversations with the farmer who then brings on the ancillary roles within the farm as well your agronomist for example can also be involved in that and it's just highlighting and opening up young people's mind to there is a world out there and my background is I used to be an assistant head teacher in central Birmingham. I was a geography teacher by trade, head of careers at the school. And it was very much, this was the route that most young people took. You did your GCSEs, your A-levels, you went on to university. But that in more recent times is completely out of the window now. And it's much more personalized to those young people. And so what we do is actually support the teachers to be able to give more advice on our sector. Um, we know that young people are still influenced in their future career choices by parents, by teachers and by their peers. And we at least have that opportunity to work with teachers to upskill them. So for Farmer Time, for example, we work with over 15 and a half thousand children, regularly connect every couple of weeks with our industry and have that conversation. So the farm will be live out on farm discussing what they've been doing that week and, and um, what's been going on more widely. And it was really interesting. In the first year, we, we 
ramp uh, farmer time um, with village farms not many of our participants spoke about careers and we kind of said well this is an opportunity really you you've got this captive audience and it was really interesting at first young people would ask you know, the farmer in front of them so how much do you earn and what's the name of your dog and those kind of questions and I remember this class in Birmingham actually a class of nine-year-olds and they were the questions they asked in their first session by the time they were talking about their fourth session, they were looking at renewable energy supply on farm. And these were nine-year-olds mm. that were having that greater depth of knowledge exchange with the with the farmer in front of them. And so last year, we, we noticed an increase and 43% of the, the farmers were uh, and schools were looking at careers. And this year, we've just had our impact report through and 71% are now looking at careers. And Amazing. actually... I think it's around 98% of those young people follow up with work in the classroom with their teachers, have development training for their teachers, and are actually now looking at the whole supply chain. So what started as a very simple way through FaceTime, FaceTiming that farmer, um, has developed actually into whole supply chain, whole industry at quite a rapid rate, a really rapid rate. And actually we've got a huge list. Uh, we've got over 150 schools now waiting to be matched with their farmers. So we're doing a shout out for more farmers in the UK to sign up. Uh, we've also launched in Sweden, uh, in Denmark, in Ireland, in Australia as well. So we're, we're really keen that this becomes a way um, of easily connecting with young people through the industry. That's super encouraging. And it's, uh, it's really great to know that obviously teachers are still playing, you know, a big role in terms mm. of the influence. I mean, Barbara, from from your side, do you think that that formal education is still really important? Or is that going to become you know, less important as time goes on? And also, it is, it's not just young people, right? I mean, there must be people joining from various different parts of the industry at different phases of their life as well. Oh, absolutely. And there's a whole myriad of points in there. I think that the, the short answer to is formal education important and will it stay so then yes, I believe it will. I think it's a really good grounding in um, in being able to study and being able to apply yourself and being able to do critical thinking and, and all that sort of area. I think it also is a wonderful platform for enthusing people, for people trying things out and, and for, for really exploring their own personal talents so I don't think that will ever ever go um, and, and there's there's also the, the the element that that takes you into academic research and which is the the, the blue sky thinking and, and and the fantastic creativity that we have but I really believe that it doesn't just stop there and that formal education is not for everybody and that if we expect that a given industry is only populated by people who have had formal education. So we're heading for disaster <laughs> because you know, we can't all be brilliant at the same things. And not that formal education makes us all brilliant at the same things, but it doesn't allow that breadth of, of vocational thinking that, that is needed. So I absolutely believe that there is lifelong learning. I remember saying to my mother when I was about 25 that I'd probably stop studying when I was um, maybe in my late 20s. I'm considerably older than that and I'm still writing my PhD up. You know, it's one of those things that lifelong learning is really, really important. But I think this industry in particular, I think is really open to that development because it changes so quickly as circumstances change and as people's perceptions change. 
I was going to just pick up on that life, uh, lifelong learning. I think that's so key, especially, you know, you read more about we're moving into industry 4.0 and that is the, the key skill is the ability to keep learning, um, which is quite important. And just picking up on uh, that, the same question, but you can, you know, you are a seasoned entrepreneur. You, I'm sure you get approached to be a mentor. You're probably a mentor to your kids you've mentioned. So from your perspective as an entrepreneur and that, you know, the advice to give to our potential entrepreneurs listening, you know, what would you be your recommendation in terms of acquiring the skills, either through former education or through the school of life to really consider a career in entrepreneurship in the food sector? Well, I've, I've done my formal school in Finland, UK and US. And I've done a PhD from human comfort, which I would have never thought to do five years before. So uh, I, I see education as like a ver- vertical thing and then different sectors like uh, horizontal things. So that you would, I mean, if, in Finland, at least people think like uh, they are studying for a job or for a profession. And they don't really think that, okay, I'm studying skills and then I can apply it to completely different sec- sectors. They're they're only thinking like, okay, I'm in economics or something. It must be, I'm, I will be a banker or something. No one's actually studying entrepreneurship officially in Finland, at least. There might be courses on entrepreneurship, but not like uh, entrepreneurship is not like uh, a job in that sense. So for me, at least, it's been very easy to switch from doing an idea platform to uh, security alarms to agriculture. But I think most people have this mental lock of like looking only from their sector, sector point of view. And I think how to get that message across people and to young people that they, they, they're not there to study to a job, but they're learning skills and then they can apply it to whatever. And uh, I mean, I didn't know anything about insects when we started, uh, but I knew that I will learn. And now after a couple of years, I think I'm pretty confident of giving a lecture on at least one insect species. Uh, I don't know the basics and theories of many things like in a cellular level, but um, I'm more like hands-on person. I self-taught coding as well. So I, I'm, I've done coding for 15 years, but I've, I have no formal education on coding you sound like a perfect example of lifelong learning yuka so uh, you know yeah. big big round of applause there and you you kind of mentioned something as well you started talking about some of the the barriers you know and how you get that message across to people so but going back to the question about the the branding problem how do we attract more talent into the industry and and maybe specifically from science and technology it sounds like those are the kinds of skills that that are going to be needed um, carl what do you think so very much from our point of view, I repeat the phrase, you cannot be it if you haven't seen it. And the fact that we just need to get the industry in front of young people, these opportunities, it's not necessarily a branding point of view. When we talk to those young people, they're absolutely blown away by what we are doing. They just mm. don't know about it. And that's the whole point. They need to have that awareness raising for them. And also, like we've said before, it's not just young people, actually families as well and parents and giving them some insight into our sector and other adults that want to change routes. And as Yuka said, they've got those skills, but actually where do they go with it? And and so it's all these opportunities and, and 
we run something called Open Farm Sunday uh, on behalf of the industry. We have about a quarter of a million people out on farm on the first Sunday in June every year. Now, we know anecdotally that through those visits, um, people have been taken on as apprenticeship uh, on apprenticeships. Okay. We know that people have learned something, seen something, spoke to someone on those events and then have considered a totally different career that they were already part of. And so it's just making sure we give time to have that overview, uh, to put it in front of our future generations. Go, look, we're here. Yeah, got it. Okay, so it sounds like awareness and inclusion are going to be uh, quite mm -hmm. important here. And Barbara, is that is that something you agree with? I, I absolutely do. I think that 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 is is really what's needed. But I do also think that the sector itself needs to take a little bit of responsibility for that. Uh, I absolutely agree with uh, the fact that it's easy to study a course for a job but actually there's a need perhaps where those that require their skills in part of the sector should also be able to look more broadly outside their own sector and look where those skills are used elsewhere so that when they are talking to recruiters when they're talking to, to students when they're talking to young people and their families that they are able to say well actually if you've done um marine biology there's a good chance that there is a place for you in some part of the food supply chain mm -hmm. in you know alternative alternative sources of of proteins or using up food waste or, or or whatever it might be so that it's not just pushing people to look more widely for their own career it's also asking the sector pushing the sector to look more broadly about where the skills that they need are are used elsewhere mm -hmm. and where the experiences that are gained elsewhere are yeah. absolutely vital to what to to, to what we would need within the sector i have actually sorry i have a very unusual idea re regarding this is that you would i mean the problem with us also finding someone like employees that we are looking a hammer for a nail which means that they have very specific um, requirements that they would have to fill already and, and I'm I'm more like uh, changing my idea on recruiting on that I, I want just people that have certain personality and certain type of basic skills. And I assume that when I get them interested, they will learn whatever needs to be done in this sector. And that's that's how I've been. I mean, every time I've I've just been very interested and excited on something, and then I start learning. Like we went to, into security business without having any idea how to even make wireless sensors. And, but we knew that we, we can just learn that when we had the kind of the mind and the goal. And so I, I kind of, I see the recruitment process as, as also advertising wrongly that you have to be specifically mm -hmm. catered to a specific job. And then if you don't have that, you can't even apply because they're mm -hmm. looking for that hammer today and not like a, a tool set for the future. So I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. And that would totally open up the sector as well, wouldn't it? They, you know, you're basically saying people come come in and then we'll we'll kind of train you and then you evolve into the job, uh, which I love. And actually, yeah. that's that's something that um, on one of our previous podcasts as well, Mark Cudigan from Ella's Kitchen was also talking about. He was saying that they only recruit people based on the fact that they believe that they can do the job, which I think is just a wonderful way to be. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah. And that also, you know, hiring for passion and that being that lifelong learning is probably what's going to support the business grow the direction that you want. And I think coming back to, you know, 
that point about hiring for that passion, that skill set, that learning. And I just want to touch a little bit about the sector and then diversity in the sector. You know, you talked about the inclusion piece. You know, do you think we're doing enough? So statistics in Europe, you know, there are 49% of the food sector is uh, women. But as you go up higher, CEO board level, I think it's less than 10%. Entrepreneurship also doesn't look great. So are we doing it enough for diversity in the egg and food sector? So Carl, do you have any thoughts on that? So as an organisation, we work with all schools, all young people from a variety of different backgrounds, and that's been really important to us. So we work with rural communities and urban communities. And again, it's highlighting the opportunities to everyone in front of us. A big part of what we're doing, though, is still around that misconception of the, of the sector, um, especially more on the food production side, which is a lower ability entering that sector, which is completely false. Uh, there are a wide variety of abilities that are needed in that sector. So we're doing a huge push around increasing higher ability young people trying to enter. It's interesting, that our national competition in the first year, one of the mandates was you had to be 14 to 16 and you had to be a higher ability student from your school. Um, that was it. What was really interesting is out of the 15 students that won the place on the competition in the first year, 14 were girls and one was a boy. So right. that's we really were, interesting. Yeah. And in the second year, again, we had more girls than boys again. And uh, their mind was much more open to what we were discussing, at least in the competition, which was really, really interesting from that point of view. So, yes, I think um, as an organisation, we make sure we put the industry in front of everyone so everyone has an equal opportunity to enter and make a decision for themselves. Perfect. Thanks for that, Carl. And I guess to you, Barbara, diversity in sector, like, do you think we're we're doing enough as an industry? The statistics suggest that that we're not. You know, we there are, as you've said, that there are big discrepancies. So we are still playing catch up, I think, in trying to address that. I certainly know from the work that I've been doing with EIT Food in particular is is very much about addressing that, and it's not just about addressing traditional gaps that we're seeing. It is also about sort of um, economic gaps and and regions and and so on that they've been working with. So I think. Behind the scenes, there's quite a lot of work going on as well as uh, in the forefront of it. I think, are we doing enough? I don't know whether we're doing enough. It's hard, It's a hard question to answer when the statistics indicate that in, uh, there is a huge amount to go. I don't know whether uh, that was a non-answer, was it? No, 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 <laughs> no. yeah. <laughs> it, you know, we, we need to do more. We need to, I guess what you're saying is we need to do more to attract and make the agri-food sector an inclusive sector for age, we talked about age, and also we need to take into account, you know, food is something that touches all of us. So we should all be involved in the process of making that change. Yuka, do you have any insights into terms of entrepreneurship and what could be done more to make it more inclusive and attractive for everyone? First of all, it's definitely clear that at least in tech startup world is, is I think like 95% men and 5% women. And I know also based on the blogs and, and articles that women, especially younger women, have hard time raising funding. For some reason, they're not because, of course, VCs, the venture capitalists are normally about 40s, 50s and men. Mm-hmm. So there, there is definitely some prejudice on women for some reason. I'm not sure what is the like uh, original reason why there's so little women. And yeah, it's it's hard 
to know. At least my personal experience is that I haven't found any difference if it's a women-run startup or men-run startup. Or actually, I prefer every time we've tried to hire women just because we get much more diversity in ideas and how we speak when there's just not five men sitting there in a room. But in, in programming and in tech, it's been very hard to find women who know how to code and do IoT and these kind of things. But yeah, so I don't have any answers, but I definitely see that it's very male dominant and then uh, and that might change the kind of the opinions of people. Yeah, I I think there's probably a podcast episode or episodes in just that that very point you're making, Uka. You know, what why why is that? So uh, maybe that's one we can pick up on another time. Um, so we're nearly out of time today, everyone. Um, so I, just the last couple of questions. If you could give a shout out to a project, so what sort of innovations and new technologies are food entrepreneurs working on right now that you think would really excite the next generation of talent in the industry? Is there anything that, that you've seen that you'd particularly like to highlight? What about you, Barbara? I think the thing for me that, that really gets me excited is all around food waste and the use of food waste. Waste is, is still seen as a word where as the connotations of chucking it away and it's going in the bin and it's going to rot. And that's still a perception that people have. And, I, and, and anything that involves actually stopping that needing to happen. So whether that's ways of not producing the, the waste in the first place, or for me, it's actually the excitement is around taking byproducts and using them for um, a really sort of positive direction back in the food supply chain. That's what really excites me, that, that approach. Amazing. Thank you. What about you, Yuka? Well, I, I will continue from Barbara that bio waste got me into insects. It wasn't insects going into bio waste, but I, I saw the amount of bio waste that is sitting there. And this particular insect we're using, black soldier fly larva, is, is optimized by nature to handle that. Mm. So my job as an engineer is to scale it industrially so that it can be used. And I think the same is for farming as well, the vertical farming and mm. using mm. automation, not just as a technology, but as a, like a benefiting so that one man can do more uh, and, and we can use the vertical space is, is the reason why I'm, I'm here. That I, I see so many potential that we haven't figured out in this space. Yeah, that's super interesting. Thank you. And um, Carl, do, do you agree? Or I mean, is, is vertical farming the, going to be the way forward in the agricultural space? Or are there other sort of projects or opportunities that you think are even more exciting? So it certainly seems to be uh, definitely a, a step in the right direction. But what's interesting for me, really, and what gets me excited in this space is that we're having these conversations, and that they're becoming more in the public psyche even to have these conversations if you look at the media and the way that they report we're getting more coverage than ever before and it's not all negative which is really pleasing as well <laughs> and so it's actually bringing in the the public into these conversations so yes we've got all these wonderful new ideas innovations technology i mean i, I remember when i first came into this role three and a half years ago and i was lucky enough to go to Harper Adams and see their hands-free hectare and to see drones, you know, farming this hectare with no human involved, 
that to me just blew my mind. And, you know, since then, going to all the different agricultural shows and, and seeing these crops rows that, again, are a drone and they act to the minute detail and go down and spray weeds. I just think and the reduction in waste then and the benefits for the environment, which, of course, of leaf, we're really interested in. Mm. So all of that is really interesting. But we're having these conversations. I mean, it really, something really annoyed me when we were having those conversations around autonomous cars and autonomous vehicles on the road. I thought, but we've had that in the industry for years, and yet we don't seem to talk about that. But now we're getting out there much more and we're having this conversation, which to me is the most important thing. I mean, Uka, from, from your startup perspective, you know, what do you see as the most exciting areas kind of cropping up? What What's on your radar? I've, I've been in... IoT sector in one way or, or the another for like 15 years. And every year it's kind of like, it's going to be a big, big thing. Like IoT, IoT, IoT. Yeah. And then they changed the name to Industry 4.0. And <laughs> so I, I see that even though I'm an engineer, I don't see that technology. There's many technologies available at the moment. What I see more, in, like, uh, more exciting is that when industry and ecosystem changes and processes changes and and suddenly they realize that they can start using it and it might take five years and suddenly everything is different in that industry and i've seen that when you push a technology it doesn't it doesn't help i mean it's not get adopted until the whole ecosystem and the mind changes and and that's kind of what i'm i want to be in forefront of that and now i've chosen that insect using insects in various ways that people haven't really used to think about in an industry level is where I want to be like um, utilizing these technologies. Inspiring stuff. Thank you very much, Yuka. Uh, and yes, we're, we're finally at the end of the show, everyone. So thank you so very much for a, a really, really interesting conversation. And, you know, one that, again, I'm sure we can talk about for a very long time and uh, it would be good to check back in with you all. Um, so where can people find out more about your work and the opportunities available for people to get into the industry? So Carl, what, uh, let's start with you. So the best place to find information about us is at leafuk.org and you'll find out all about our education work, our public engagement work, as well as more of our technical and on the ground farm work as well. Thank you very much, Barbara. So the best place to find out what we do in specific areas is through the University of Reading's Agri-Food Training Partnership, um, or alternatively through from the professional education side of things is through EIT Foods Professional Education arm. Um, Thank you very much. And last but by no means least, Yuka. Well, mannainsect.com and grainsense.com. That's, that's pretty much. And, and of course, LinkedIn, if you want to contact me, that's the best best way. It just leaves then me to say, Yuka, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Barbara, thank you. Thank you very much. And Carl, thank you also. Really great conversation. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the Food Fight podcast from EIT Food. If you'd like to learn more about what we're doing, go to our website, eitfood.eu, or check us out on Twitter at EIT Food. Thank you to New Scientist Live. Keep fighting for a better food future. 